to Alive. I'm Christina Redko. We are approaching Thanksgiving, a time of deep gratitude here in the United States. For the podcast, this will also be a time for pause, reflection, and renewal as we prepare for an exciting 2022. Meanwhile, you will have the chance to revisit and ponder on some of our favorite episodes. Very grateful for having you here, dear listeners. So, once more, let's take the time to honor and be thankful to the salmon fish. My friend from Norway, the philosopher Martin Lee Miller, will share reflections from his book, Being Salmon, Being Human. This is how the book starts. The mayor of Seattle said once, ironically, as we try to save the salmon, it may turn out that the salmon save us. Martin was also influenced by the impact of the salmon industry. Because living in Norway, I was also living in the land of aquaculture. The number one export industry is oil in Norway, and the number two export industry is aquaculture, specifically salmon farming. Uh, Norway is exporting, we're going quickly into big numbers here, Norway is exporting more than a million tons of salmon flesh every single year. That is a lot. But um, I found myself reading an opinion piece in a business newspaper back in 2010 by a professor of fishery economics who insisted that the aquaculture industry has become a rival for the wild fish and we must choose one of the two we cannot have both he said and he said uh, because the industry has become so important financially economically for the country we must make an uneasy sacrifice and we must be willing to sacrifice the entire species of wild salmon in norway and i was unable to accept a story which assumed that humans can allow for the extinction of a species knowingly Martin reflects on the big question, what does it mean to be human? He also looks at the roots of the words, human, humus, and humble. Um, you know, the book is called Being Salmon, Being Human. And um, to me, the book in its entirety is an attempt to not so much answer the question of what it means to be human, but to ask the question in a deeper way. And the way I ask it is to to encounter ourselves as we gaze in the eyes uh, of another being. But to do that, I also try to reflect on what are some of our own original understandings of what it even means to be human and where the, sim- the simple word human even comes from. And in our own lineage, as you pointed out, Christina, we can trace it quite far back to Indo-European roots, where there seems to be this ancient word, which when we pronounce it, we say 
Hume or Hume. It's spelled quite differently, but that seems to be the pronunciation. And it seems to have led to such modern words, like you said, as human itself, but also humus, which is a word for earth. And so in the original experience of what it even means to be human, we seem to observe a relationship with and nearness to earth. We cannot think human which, without also thinking earth. Uh, but there's also a third word, interestingly, which seems to have come from the same root in addition to human and humus, which is humility. The one who pointed this out to me originally was David Abram, the American eco-philosopher. And he stood up when he first explained this to me, when he first shared this with me. And he said, what is a bodily gesture for humility? He asked me. And I needed to stand up myself to, to sort of feel into that. And then suddenly I found myself taking a bow. And he said, exactly. And what is it you're doing when you're taking a bow? Well, you're moving closer to Earth. You're bringing yourself into a direct nearness with the ground upon which you walk. And then he concluded and he said, humility in the original understanding of human seems to be a way in which we always already bring ourselves into relationship with Earth, into a relationship of care, of attention, of empathy perhaps, of love, perhaps even a relationship of the sacred, all of which is rooted in the very word we still use today, human. Martin also describes the salmon as gift givers. This acknowledgement is also a keen observation of the natural landscape, isn't it? Because salmon, before some people started raising them in hatcheries and raising them in cages and increasingly isolating them from the oceans to the point where nowadays they're being raised on land and genetically modified, salmon were born in rivers close to where humans would settle, and then for the first couple of years they would spend their lives in the river until at some point they would need to migrate out to the oceans where there was an abundance of food, an abundance of things, beings they could eat to grow much, much larger. And then they would be sizzling with energy and their, their flesh would be vibrant and, and they would be huge in size. And at some point towards the very end of their lives they would sense and smell and actively navigate their way back precisely to the river they were born in, having traveled thousands of miles and find their way back to the river and then swim up these same rivers much, much larger than when they were born in these rivers. And of course, imagine standing on these shores as a human being and seeing all this abundance of food coming back to your home and you haven't done a thing for it. You must be overcome with the experience that this world is indeed a world of gifts. And what is a way for us who are on these rivers and who do not have this amazing ability to travel to the oceans, how can we respond to this overwhelming experience of the world as gifts in ways that do not ever threaten the gift to disappear? In other words, how can we relate to these beings who give themselves to us in ways that will always honor their return, practically, symbolically, emotionally. Well, perhaps we can sing songs to them as they return. Perhaps we can have feasting ceremonies so that we prepare our spiritually to their return. Perhaps we can speak a language which is humble, coming back to humility. Perhaps we can speak a way which is humble enough to allow them to be their own sentient beings and not speak a language which demeans them into simple dead objects which we can manipulate. How can we teach our children 
that the act of taking a life is always a sacred act. It's always an act in which we take upon ourselves the responsibility to receive a life, but we must give something back. Perhaps we cannot give back our own flesh in that moment, but we can give back attention. We can give back gratitude. We can give back a song or perhaps a dance. Martin also wrote, Salmon fed humans and in giving themselves as flesh, they became human. I'm just pausing for a minute to, to try to honor it. Because we're, we're in a conversation here, which in some sense is a bit tricky and could be easily misunderstood because we're moving between different schools of knowledge. We're moving between philosophy, ecology, indigenous studies, anthropology, poetry, and it trying to translate in such ways that we still can make sense, even though we're trespassing. We're trespassing all the time here. Trespassing from the science of ecology to mythical, shape-shifting. Um, there is an, a story of ecology, or let's say, about salmon as keystone species. And the idea of keystone itself is beautiful if you imagine a traditional arch of bricks, let's say in a cathedral, when you enter into the cathedral, the, the, the opening gate or the, the big portal, and you see this giant arch of bricks, right? And the central one is the one that holds the entire construction in place, remove it, and the construction might collapse. That is what's called a keystone, traditionally in the craft of masonry. Now, ecology has picked up the metaphor because ecology has realized that there are some species in the lands, in the airs, and in the waters who have a above average importance for keeping the web of relationship from disentangling. And salmon belong to those keystone species. And simply put, it means that rivers who are visited by vibrant runs of migrating salmon returning from the oceans will tend to be rivers rich with life. Simple as that. Salmon will bring all these nutrients back from the oceans and when they do, many of them die. When they die, these nutrients will become food for trees, for forests, uh, food for predators such as bears who might snatch some of their carcasses and carry them further inland where they will start fertilizing soils. They will become hatcheries for insects. They will turn rivers into salmon soup, so rich with nutrients that all the beings in the rivers will benefit from these deaths. Being salmon, being human. Beautiful example of this, you have rivers passing through Californian vineyards, which will be fertilized by salmon, whose nutrients will then pass directly into the grapes, who will then become the Chardonnay on our tables, right? And it is another way of telling the story of the world as gift, using the metaphors of science, but still a story quite translatable to indigenous stories of, of salmon coming home from the oceans and suddenly shape-shifting into humans, into becoming humans. So the element of shape-shifting, we can talk about through mythical language, we can talk about it through the language of science, we can talk about it through artistic ways. And when we do, we see that the world is so rich that we cannot understand it through one way of speaking alone. This richness encouraged Martin 
together with semi-composer Toger Vasvik and other storytellers to travel around the world sharing stories of the pan-cultural encounters between salmon and humans. Music for this episode was composed by Toger Vasvik. The poem was written by Martin Miller and interpreted by Mary Crockett. To be thinking like the ocean, be the ocean thinking itself within me. How long have I been journeying across these vast ocean currents? My ancestors followed these roots for six million years. The salmon and the people made a mutual agreement. The people were to show the salmon respect through songs and stories. In exchange, we'd be gifted with food wealth in abundance. We have seen ice ages come and go. Great white tongues licked their way from the never-ending darkness of the north. They wiped out my ancestors' birthplaces. When the rivers awoke... After a hundred thousand years of hibernation, we still lived. Glaciers could not exterminate us. Millions of years could not exterminate us. An ancient pledge. As long as humans kept to the part of the agreement, the salmon would always come back. But if the humans didn't, the salmon would stop returning. And that would be the end of everything. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for listening. Please share, subscribe, support, and rate this show and all those amazing things you do with podcasts. Just go to alivepodcast.net Engage with Alive by recording your questions into pod inbox forward slash alive. This show celebrates the wonders of being alive.